Next Chapter Podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, my God, this buildup. I just want to slam dance and then have somebody punch me in the face. That time in your life, you know, doesn't necessarily need to end. Like, I feel like in your adult life, like, you still, you you don't have to, you don't have to just think, I got to work, and then I get married. And and I don't know if that's, I don't even know now with with young people if that's even a thing. I don't know if it's like, yeah, I got to get married. Now, they're into eating ass now. (laughs) They're really into it. There is a lot of eating ass. A lot of ass eating. Some guy said, eat the booty like groceries in a song, and then it changed fucking everything. Now kids eat ass. Eat ass regularly. Kitty Kitty Peters ate my ass the first time. And uh, I thank her for that. Wow. Yeah, that was was 21. Right about turn 21. Damn. Not many people have eaten ass. Yeah. But I, mean, I don't know why. We're talking about summer. Yeah. It happened, anyway, happened in the fall, actually. Maybe, maybe so. during the summer, maybe that's when you say. I've I don't think you want to eat ass in the summer, dude. <laughs> if, that's, if you're going to do it, eating ass is like a is like a late fall, November. It's like, you know what I mean? It's nice and cold. You know, there's not you're not thinking of... eating ass after a six-hour drive. Fuck fucking no, sitting on the seat. dude. Oh, my God. The girl who lives on Heaven Hill, everybody, is from the 1985 album New Day Rising by a band called Husker Do. It's also number 488 out of 500 on the 500 with Josh Adam Myers. That's me, the king of fleece. I am covered in fleece, people. I got on fleece socks fleece pants i got on a fleece bolo hat fleece yarmulke my dog's wearing fleece everybody's wearing fleece in the house it's cold outside man thank you for joining me to the only podcast that's going through rolling stone magazine's list of the 500 greatest albums i think i've got the name for all of you guys the fleece army because that's it i'm the king of fleece everybody's wearing fleece y'all the fleece army I could say Listers, I could say the Five Honeys, fuck all that. The Fleece Army. Buy your fleece. We're going to start selling some kind of merchandise in fleece. I'll tell you that right fucking now, y'all. We're at a good number right now, guys. We're at number 488. I didn't really know about Husker Du. Literally, the only thing I knew about Husker Du was uh, in Joe Dirt when he's like, Husker Do's, Husker Don'ts. But I fucking dug it, man. I powered through. I hope you guys powered through, too. It's fucking good. It's hard. It's a hard listen when you're not in the mood to listen to punk rock music for a week. And, I mean, there were some moments that I was just like, all right, I got to put on some Earth, Wind, and Fire or something else. But I dug the shit out of this. My guest this week is the one and only Joe Sib. Incredible stand-up comedian. But this guy has such a deep-rooted history in the music scene that he is perfect for this record. 
He's currently on tour with Jim Brewer and Metallica, so catch them in any town that Metallica's at. Joe and Jim are going to be there. He's also the owner of Side One Dummy Records. And to be able to sit down with him and talk Husker Du, a guy that lived during that time period that was fucking there, it was the shit. Don't forget to listen to the end of the podcast, guys, where we're going to spotlight a new artist that was directly influenced by Husker Du. Also, go on any way that you guys listen to podcasts. I need you guys to rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to the 500. If you can do me this favor, I want everybody, if you're listening to this podcast, to tell two people to join the fucking movement. I want to get as many people on this fleece train as possible. So do it. Follow me. At Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. And for all things 500, where you can see everything that we do, go to our website, the500podcast.com. So, without further ado, here we go with number 488 out of 500 with New Day Rising by Husker D. It's Joseph, Joseph, Joseph. It's Joseph, Joseph, Joseph. We finally did it. Damn. We're finally here. You like how I do that? Let's do that for everybody. I got to tell you right now, man, if there was, I've never had a jam written about me, but that that's my intro music now. Anytime I hit the stage stand up, you know, when they go, <laughs> hey, man, do you want anything me to, do you want me to play anything? And they'll leave, you know, maybe they'll do Fugazi or they'll do ACDC. From now on, I'm going to give an MP3 <laughs> of my posting. <laughs> it's Joseph, Joseph, Joseph. It's the girl who lives on Heaven Hill, but oh. it's just, it fit. So well, because Hill kind yeah. of in some weird way rhymed with Sib. So the reason I brought you in for this record is because you you music has been a huge part of your life. So it's, why don't you take me through? I would say this without, you know, spending an hour just talking about the importance, the the connection, the spiritual meaning. Just music is everything for me. Uh, my entire life is based on music. I wouldn't be sitting here uh, across from you right now if it wasn't for music. Uh, it all starts for me. Uh, I would say it all starts for, for me December 27, 1981, when my dad uh, and my mom and dad get divorced. And my dad takes me to Winchester Skateboard Park. Yeah. And I'm in seventh grade. And I was not good at sports. Uh, I tried, uh, but I was a really small kid growing up, and all I cared about at that point was skateboarding. I had no idea that there were other skateboarders. Uh, I grew up in the middle of the San- in the Santa Cruz Mountains. Okay, yeah, I was just about that. Yeah, so that's, so, that's what north of here. Yeah, that's north. Like, yeah, okay. Nor- it's a uh, basically it's you think of San Francisco and then you go uh, to Santa Cruz. It's about it's about an hour away. But the thing <laughs> for the thing for me uh, the thing for me was music. At that point, when I before you know, when you're living with your parents, you you grew up on their record collection. Yes. So as a young kid, I was always the kid. My parents had huge parties, and they'd have people over, and I was always at Joey. Go put something on. So at a young age, I learned Elton John gets the party going. Uh, Dean Martin, everyone loves Frank Sinatra. Hey, I'll put on the Eagles. Hey, let's put on uh, you know uh, Crosby, Stills and Nash. Like I learned at a young age, kind of. I, I think that's why when I started getting jobs in radio, I just have always been good at setting the vibe. 
vibe for a party. Like yeah. that was just kind of my gig. Well, you had cool parents because everything you just mentioned are some of the most you know iconic bands and songs. Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, the Jim Croce, Jim Croce. Yeah, uh, I mean, a lot of a lot of uh, we had even you know Willie uh, Willie Nelson was a big big part of growing up. Johnny yeah. Cash. Uh, so all this music, I was always a kid going over the record collection, and be, because I grew up in the woods, like I literally grew, grew up on on five acres in the Santa Cruz Mountains. It was when it was the seventies, and my parents were raising these. They had horses, and they were gonna. It was like they were the original hipsters. They were like they moved from the city, and they were like, we're gonna live out in the woods. We're gonna have our own. We're gonna have our own food. We're, they were like, we're getting off the grid. They didn't know there was a grid. You had your own Branch Davidian. It sounds like. I mean, like, it was literally. Fucking... But the thing is, Josh. I had no desire at all to ride horses. Like for my parents, I had no desire to get into nature. I was just, I was into skateboarding. I had this little patch of cement and I skateboarded around. It was right when Skateboarder uh, magazine came out. So I would, I would go, whoa, like where are these kids? So when my parents got separated, although I was bummed, I was stoked because we moved into the city. So I, you know, it was like, okay, now I finally get some cement around me. And at a certain point, my dad on the weekend, he'd pick me up. Hey, you got to come with me. He never missed a weekend. Like I was one of those kids from a divorced family that like we, like it went like upscale. Like I was like, this is rad. Get to stay with mom during, you know, this week. And then I got to go with my dad on the weekend. And my dad never missed a weekend, but he needed things to do with me. So my whole music world changed when my dad took me December 27, 1981 to Winchester Skateboard Park because at that moment, it was the first time ever that I heard music that wasn't my parents. Sure. And, and yeah. it was, it was I, I still you, remember, yeah, remember the, the band. Oh my God, I remember this moment in time. I'm sitting there. I was a really nervous kid. My dad talks me into going into the skateboard park. Like, Joey, you know, look, just give me 10 minutes. You're going to dig it. If you don't, we'll never come back again. And I was like, he was forcing you to skateboard. He was pretty gangster. He's like, (laughs) listen, we just got your health insurance. We want to use it. The thing about, you know, my dad, what I love about my dad is he's, he, he's, he wasn't forcing me as much as he knew that I was going to love it. Yeah. I didn't. Do you know what I'm saying? I get it. You know, it's kind of like he knew like, Hey man, I, I see you putting around on this thing all the time. And I remember looking through the fence and there's, you know, there's 150 or, you know, hundred dudes, maybe, maybe less with the gear on. Probably, you know what it is? As you're a kid, I probably think it's a hundred. It was probably 20 dudes, but yeah. I'd never seen that many people skateboarding, you know? And like at this point, you know, skateboarding isn't what it is today. So it's like, it's the gear, it's the park. It's like, whoa, this is like, this is, this is a religion. Like, okay. And I remember my dad gets me in there. And as I'm, as I'm skateboarding in this zone, that's not even for skateboarding. It was for like stretching out, like, okay, go over there. And you know, that's where you put your bag. There was this little, it was a back of another part of the park, like a run. So it wasn't the run that you're actually supposed to go down. It was this other little area. And I remember I went over there and I did a kick turn And I come back down the wall and I'm like, whoa, like I pulled it. And then my dad's looking at me. He's like, do it again. Go. I'm like, all right. I do another kick turn and I'm like, whoa. And then all of a sudden, like I always say like that, that 10 minutes turned into like an hour, an hour turned into six and the six turned into the rest of my life. Like it just changed my whole thing. Cause all of a sudden there wasn't a coach going, what are you doing? You're not going up up the wall. Hey, Subiondo, get over here. You know, it was like, whoa. And then all of a sudden I met another kid. And he's like, yo, dude, cruise over here. And I'm like, well, I, I've never ridden that before. He's like, I know, but like, dude. I remember I go and I, I'm totally holding up everyone else from dropping in. And I got out and the guy's like, yeah, dude. I remember I'm like, are you talking to me? He goes, yeah, that was, that was cool. You tried that. And I'm like, wait, are you validating me right now? Like, like you're cool because you, you're ripping. But like, 
you're you're saying like that was cool what I just did down there? And he was like, yeah. And I'm like, in my head, I was like, this is nuts. And at the same moment, I'm having this acceptance feeling as a as a young, you know, 12 year old boy. Yeah. All of a sudden, off in the distance, Josh, I just hear these sounds. And I, I know this is crazy, and, and people go, how do you know that that's the song? But I'll never forget it. Hit me. It was the Buzzcocks, Hollow Inside. And it were, I remember this guy was playing on this huge box, and it was back then, it was cassettes, and his name, it was Andy, brother, Andy Berenson's brother. That's all I remember. But then out of that box came everything that would set me for the rest of my life to this moment right now because all of a sudden it was like it was black flag circle jerks uh buzzcocks sex pistols ramones germs like all and you remember now think about this there's no there's no a shazam there's no oh hey when i get home i'm gonna google it you had to walk over and ask and ask and dude who is what is this song yeah and and remember and dude you know as as a kid growing up how uncool that is when everyone knows it's the jerks. I, I know that exactly. You know that moment where you have to let your guard down, and, and most of us know where the people, you know, they, well, you don't know who this is, bro. And you're like, sorry, you never ask again. For me, I was, once again, the guy, Andy Berenson's older brother, that's all I knew him as. He was like, oh, no, dude, this this is this is the Buzzcocks. And I was like, what, what's that? And he's like, oh, dude, check it out. So that moment all of a sudden i discover skateboarding and and this music i don't even know that it's punk rock and then i remember that that same day for the first time ever in my life i saw punk rockers and i remember they they came into the park dude and there was five of them and i remember looking at them and everyone like they came in they had engineer boots on and one had shaved head and the other had like a like a mohawk and the other one had like uh, spiky blonde hair and they had like discharge written on the back and gbh and and i was like whoa and i remember one of them hopped over the fence in his combat boots and his engineer boots grabbed a skateboard and just started ripping started in the keyhole ripping, yeah. and i was like whoa and he got kicked out like yeah dude you can't be in here without gear okay and i was just like oh my god what's that like i like i loved the look i was just like oh because at that point i'm standing there with a bowl haircut ops that are like way too high yeah. in vans like how old are you it, i'm 12 i'm seventh grade seventh yeah. grade yeah so i'm 51 right now at 12 years old dude i discovered the two most important things in my life up until getting married and having children the two most important things in my life skateboarding and punk rock and i never detoured off of that road yeah. my entire life like like to the point that it would get weird in my 20s and in my 30s and then it went from being weird to, oh, you've made a career out of it. Okay. But I was in the right place at the right time. Punk rock hit the suburbs. I saw Black Flag with Henry Rollins. I saw Suicidal Tendencies, their first trip to Northern California. Wow. I saw Minor Threat, Youth Brigade, Seven Seconds, all on the same show. Wow. All on the same I show. I couldn't imagine that. Okay. <laughs> and, and also, keep in mind, never was into drugs. Never, like, I tried to smoke weed. I freaked out. My thing was drink a couple beers. Sure. So I was the dude that would go to the show, and you'd pay seven bucks, and I would be in the pit from, like, literally 8 o'clock at night till 2 o'clock in the morning because I wanted to see every band. And then at a certain point, I finally got a chance to see Dead Kennedys. And I remember I was so excited to see the Dead Kennedys. And at this point, I'm deep into punk rock. I'm trying to start my first band. There you go. That's the only reason I know that is from the Tony Hawk uh, skateboarding game. Yeah. I'm sorry. Police truck. <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, 
You did a good impersonation. Uh, I have people have been saying this uh, since I've been doing it because I can. Ju- I just start singing, and people say you have perfect key. You just I hear it, and then I memorize. it. I want to say that was one of the things I think. Like when you and I met each other, we were talking about it uh, earlier. I was like, I remember you did sing on stage, and a lot of times when other people do that, you know, that you're, you're like, like whack. Oh, yeah, it's so <laughs> cheese ball. Yeah, and I was like, oh, dude, like he can actually sing. This is just in my everything. Music is so in my blood. So rewinding really quick. You were like dead Kennedy. So I go to, I, you know, at this point, dude, I am so like, I think I might be in my first band. I'm going to see the dead Kennedys. And I remember they played at uh, San Jose city college. And it was a big deal that the dead Kennedys were coming to San Jose. And I remember I go to the show and, um, opening up is Husker do. And I remember like it. Now this is a long time ago. I'm probably at this point, you know, 16 years old, 17 years old. But I'd been to a lot of shows, and I remember when Husker Du hit the stage, three-piece. It was so loud, and I'd been to a lot of shows. It was so loud, and, and Bob Mould up there, and, 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 and Grant, like the, the, the noise that these three guys were making. I knew at that moment, and I'll be totally honest, it, it wasn't my thing at that exact moment. Yeah. Because... Where punk was at where I was and where punk rock was, it was really it was I was really into hardcore. The band's like seven seconds. Like seven seconds out of Reno started the whole hardcore movement, minor threat, all that stuff. I really love that. But I remember watching Husker do, and I remember like like almost having a moment where I was like, You're not ready for this. Like me saying that to myself, like, Joe, this this is this is too much for you to comprehend. It's it's sonically it's way above where you're at. Not to say that the bands I was into sonically weren't great, but the guitar playing of, you know, of, of Bob mm-hmm. lyrically, the, I mean, dude, it was so loud, but like, not like loud, like, Oh my God, I got to get out of the room. But just like, it almost like pulls you in. Like, like we're Husker do. And these two monster sonic hands came out and just grabbed you in the heart and, and by the ass and just like scooted you further and further <laughs> to closer to the stage yeah. that before I knew it, I remember I'm just staring up at Bob mold. And also you got to remember no gimmicks with them. No Mohawks. No, like they, they I, look like regular guys. Yeah. They look and, like and being totally honest, I was spiky hair, bondage belt, creepers you have to send me a picture if you have one and i would love to post that to the website yeah and 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 at this point i think at this point i'm in like you know bleach jeans with like docks and like probably like a flat top like i'm fully like i'm still you know and and i remember watching them and and the thing about this record new day rising is you know, for everyone that's going to hopefully take a moment and listen to it. And I think you and I had this moment together because I'll be honest, this isn't my favorite record by Husker Du. Yeah. yeah. Candy Apple, Candy, what is it called? Candy Apple Gray, I think. Yeah. Candy, yeah. Candy Apple Gray. It was a record that when they got signed to Warner Brothers, that's like my all time favorite record. But the reason I know Rolling Stone felt this record is the record is because I'm telling you, when you start reading the lyrics, you have to read the lyrics because the way it's mixed, like it's on SST records back in the day, Spot, who, you know, he, he produced everything from Black Flag to Minor Descendants, thread, yeah. Yeah, all that stuff. Uh, Minutemen, and I think he worked with, but he was like the SST, uh, SST house producer. Sonically, 
it takes you a moment to get your head around. But once you start reading these lyrics and once you start seeing the tug of war, because you got two singers, you got two different approaches, then also you start hearing these melodic anthems, but with this wave of guitar. And in my opinion, it makes sense why Nirvana, the Pixies, all looked to Husker Du and Bob Mould's guitar playing as as truly the blueprint for like, I always, I and it's funny because I read this, it's this to me is the blueprint for indie music. Like independent, I don't want to use the word alternative because that would come in the 90s, but this was the blueprint for that. Whereas what I was really gravitating towards was all of the hardcore that was coming out in 85. But what Husker Du was doing was was seriously they were on everyone was going one direction maybe you know and yeah. and they really stood out like even that night with the dead kennedys i remember like dead kennedys i remember jello came out that night and he had a stocking over his face and like it was it was like whoa that's kind of weird but it was like i don't know it, it wasn't it wasn't as memorable even though they played as all Husker the, do, yeah, Husker do does that make sense? To, like, no, I, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, I've, dude, I've seen bands, uh, and not that the Dead Kennedys didn't rip that night. And I saw the Dead Kennedys in their heyday. I saw them. I saw them their last show. They were great. But just all I can say is, when I was watching Husker do, it was almost like the universe saying, "You can't get your head around this. You're not ready. You haven't loved, lost, and been kicked in the nuts. You live at home with your mom, and you live at home with your dad. Yeah. The hardest thing you've ever had happen is your mom and dad separated. You aren't even ready for what these dudes are laying down." You keep talking about the lyrics, and that's probably blew me away. It just it really the the more I listened to this record, and the more I read along with it, because a lot of the, a lot of the songs aren't like packed with lyrics. It could be the same thing over and over again. But it's it's definitely a lot heavier than I was expecting. Let's jump right into the record. Our album is number four eighty eight out of five hundred. It's Husker Du's nineteen eighty five album, New Day Rising, with guitarist vocalist Bob Mould, bassist vocalist Greg Norton, and drummer vocalist Grant Hart. And like you said, which just shows the research, and you fucking know, recorded at Nicolette Studios in Minnesota, yeah, of all places, and produced by HD and you said him Spot. Well, hey, friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Now, you heard this record a long time ago, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, got, I mean, to, to show you how old I was, I had this record 
on cassette and then later on on um on cd i never owned it on vinyl one thing i got to say too is when you say minnesota you got to remember at this point out of minnesota the, the first thing i think of minneapolis minnesota was that it, it's always come to mind for me you have husker du the replacements and soul asylum and those three bands to me um later on in my life kind of catapulted me into like wow it has it ha- you can you can still be melodic and have great lyrics yeah. and you don't have to play a million miles an hour that was what i learned kind of when i think of those three bands so when you first heard this like what is your reaction and like what stuck out to you besides the lyrics any songs or anything it was that really I'll be, I'll be, you? it was it was i'll be totally honest um it was it was a little and and this is no diss to this is just me this is no diss to spot um it was a, it was sonically originally hard for me to get through this was a tough album and, for me to listen to. Only be, I, I, but, I'm, but go ahead. No, I'm just gonna say, this is the thing. People always used to say to me like, "Oh, dude, you know, you don't like pop music. You know, you don't like pop music. You like punk rock." But as I got older, I realized Minor Threat is a pop band. It's big choruses. Like, you know, like I just like songs. And and the thing is with this production, the songs are there, but you you have to like. It's the same thing as, I don't know about you, but like Jane's Addiction, nothing shocking. It took me a second to get my head around Perry Farrell's voice. Yes, this is this record. I kind of experienced the same thing. So I'm coming off of you know, let's see, we just did eleven or twelve albums before this, and to go into this one after after Kiss, actually, um, it's like I had so much fun listening to Kiss, and then it's like I put this on, and like I first of all, I was just like it's when I was driving, I could I could. I could dig what I was what I was doing, but I was like, eh, you know, this is kind of getting me a little agitated. <laughs> it just felt like the world was was coming in on me. And then, especially after I've been reading the lyrics, I'm like, fuck, dude, this is some heavy shit. And and then I found the perfect place to listen to it when I was at the gym. I was like, oh yeah, dude, this is fantastic. But what really stuck out to me, like you said, is that there are some huge choruses huge. in this that are super huge. catchy. Yeah. Uh, and then just kind of the way it begins, like New Day Rising, just the first time I did put that on, I mean, it was just like, wow. It was just, it was like a wall of sound of distorted guitars, the the breakneck drums, and these over the top from like out of his bowels screaming, all building up into this crescendo, and then it's pulling back and then building up again. And he just keeps repeating New Day Rising yeah. over and, and over. I, I think that was the thing. I think that's the thing that when you listen to this album, when you first put it on, it's like New Day Rising, New Day. Okay. And then as it keeps building and Bob's, you know, at the end, he's screaming and and, and it really hits you over the head. But it really is the beginning and almost like no different than like the gunshot at the beginning yes. of a race of like, here we go. And once again, like when I saw them live, either I'm going to grab you by the your ass and your heart, and I'm pulling you in, and there's really nothing that you're going to be able to do. Like you're you're on you're on the ride, and and I think that I don't know if that was by choice with the production that Spot came up with or the band, but it really does start to pull you in. You know why? Because and I found this online. Uh, new days are new beginnings, and conventionally speaking, they tend to be about possibility. Hope, the slate is clean, anything can happen, but by the end of this track, the vocals are being howled and sputtered and screamed with such a ferocity, the guitar is caustic wall of noise, 
that you have to wonder how much hope is really being expressed. It's like waking up and realizing nothing has changed. Everything is just as fucked up as it was when you went to sleep. So let me ask you this. Yeah. Take me through a time when you hit a rock bottom and how did you come out of that to find that new day? Oh, man. Um, I would say when I went, come into L.A. when I was 23, I got kicked out of my first band. And it Who was, was the first band? First band I was in was this band called Frontline, and it was made up. It's the band you start with your best friends, and it's the band that you dream with. Someday we're going to play the forum. It's the band that you dr- you have all your dreams. You yeah. you drive around. You know you go. I was we you know we a big deal for us was to drive the six hours to L.A. and and you know it's those it's those late night drives where it's the four of you and, 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 and you're, you're listening to, you know, for us back then it was, it was listening to Metallica. It was listening to, you know, when Guns N' Roses came out in 85, it was listening to, you know, all the punk bands that we, that we loved. And it was, it was, you know, you're dreaming, you're having these dreams and, and, and it's no different than, you know, maybe an athletes and they're on, they're a team and they're traveling. Like when you're in a band, like what I, what I loved about being a band was the brotherhood. I loved, I loved, I loved that you, it's your family. It's your, it, you know, sure. You love your mom and dad and you love your sister and all that stuff. But like when you're in a band, you know, it, it, you're sitting there and, and, and you're dreaming together of someday we're going to make a record and someday we're going to, and then, and then if all of a sudden when I was in frontline, things started to happen. Like we did open for the Ramones, you know, we opened for the Ramones at the Roxy. The only wow. time, only time, only time the Ramones ever played the Roxy in L.A. was when they filmed Rock and Roll High School, and when we opened up for them, they did Fuck two yeah, shows. Dude. Yeah, you know, you have these these dreams of we're opening for our idols. You know, we're opening for these people that that we've admired, and and the reason we've even started a band together is because of these people that now we're we're opening for. So when I so when I got kicked out of that band, yeah, I was I had just finished college, I was. 21 22 years old music was changing it, it was all about metal it was all about uh you know pantera that wasn't my scene the guys in the band i was with that was where they were that's they were the pantera no no they were they were loving that style of music and i Dude, this I, is like speaking this is the it was, same fucking situation they loved with, it i was stone temple pilots they were pantera sepultura yeah I wanted to do come down the seat on Vaseline, burn, yeah, yeah. Burn, 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 burn. and they, they want to do respect. Yeah, 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 dude, yeah, it was yeah. five minutes long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what they wanted, and I would sing that, and then they would. But it's, but my heart wasn't there, man. My heart was big, empty, bro. Yeah. All right, so keep going. I'm yeah. Sorry. You know, my band wasn't feeling me anymore, and you know what? Out of defense, them, we're all friends now. I was an asshole to be in a band. I like if people think Henry Rollins took it seriously, I took it way more seriously than Henry Rollins. Like for me, um, it was it was one of those moments where like like getting the van. I read, but like most people read and said, "Oh wow, that's too serious." For me, getting the van, I read and was like, "Yes, you practice every day. Yes. Oh, it's Christmas. We're practicing. Oh, you're going on a ski trip with your family. Fuck that. Oh, you don't want to go to L.A. on a Wednesday night for a show. Fuck you. Like yeah. I was like, we are gonna make it no matter what. Now having someone in your band like that is great because you do get to open for the Ramones. You do get to open for Stillville Fingers, but. Having someone like that in your band all the time and then saying things like this to you, like like they'd go, hey, man, you know, they'd, they'd start to work on a riff and I would just be a dick and be like, dude, we ain't playing that. Dude, fucking, you know what? And then you start doing that to people. You realize while well, all of a sudden they go, hey, fuck you. We don't want to be in a band with you anymore. And that's essentially what they did. They were they literally this is the best part of the thing. I was so into I was so blinded by like making it in a band 
I literally came to rehearsal and all of the gear was gone except my mic stand and PA and they left it set up like, you know, like ready to go. And I was so naive and so stupid that I called them and said, dude, our gear's been stolen thinking, (laughs) oh, wouldn't they steal the PA too? That's like, you know, like that's the most expensive stuff, the board, all the, you know, and they go. And I remember our guitar player goes, bro. The gear didn't get stolen, Joe. And I go, well, what happened? We don't want to play with you anymore, dude. I hate to tell you, like, I love you, dude. You're my brother, but you are a dick, dude. You are <laughs> such an asshole to yeah. all of You don't even hear what you say to us, dude. You're a fucking jerk. Like, I'm sorry, but, dude, you know, you got to work on that. And I remember, dude, like, but I thought I was getting rad for us. I thought, so all of a sudden, dude, I moved to L.A., I remember the best part was a buddy of mine was like, dude, I heard you got kicked out of Frontline. I was like, yeah. He's like, you know what, dude? There ain't nothing going for you in San Jose. Moved to L.A. And I was like, dude, what am I doing in L.A.? Came down here, slept on a couch for about a month. Met these dudes from Chicago. All of a sudden, I'm in wax. It's happening. And I realized, not going to be a dick, man. I am not going to be a jerk. Any- I, I got to fucking tighten it up. Yeah. And also, hey, man, what music do they want to play? They did. Be- I, w- I went the opposite way. They would bring songs in. Hey, dude, do you mind singing these lyrics? Hell no. Yeah, I'll sing them. They're great lyrics. You know, hey, can you write? Yeah, cool. But, you know, I'm not above. Re- these are good words. Like, I-, I went from like, it's a collaboration, not a fucking crack the whip on everybody. Within six months, we got signed. We made our first record on Caroline. I was like, it was an, I mean, it was a new beginning. It was a new day rising. New day, right? Look how you did that. Yeah. We went from the the fire to the fire, and it was just happening, man. I mean, we did a date on Lollapalooza. I mean, everything was happening. And then we, we went to make our new record, and uh, we ended up going to Boston. We recorded with Paul Slade, or Paul Coldry and Sean Slade. They had just finished the first Pablo Honey Radiohead you know? Wow! Yeah, yeah. and the reason yeah. the reason we went to work with them was because of creep that shink shink. Just you know, that, that noise, I'm the most cre- iconic yeah. guitar strum for white people. We love it. Once again, I have those moments in my life where I, I, where the universe is saying you're not ready, you're not ready, Joe. And I wasn't ready. I look back. I remember the first time I saw Soundgarden on Lollapalooza. I saw Soundgarden, Lollapalooza, we and 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 Pearl Jam. And I remember being on stage. And I remember we had to open up on some bullshit stage in the mud. And I was pissed. It was the year of the Chili Peppers headline. And it, and I was like, what the fuck, man? We're wax, man. Like, why are we over on this bullshit stage? Soundgarden, Pearl Jam. What the fuck? And I and I know right now people are like, because uh, you already know what's coming. I remember I went over to the main stage. I'll never forget as long as I live. It went Pearl Jam first. I'm sorry. It went Pearl. It went Soundgarden into Pearl Jam that day, and I'll never forget it. I sat on the Fuck. stage, and I was like, I sat on the side of the stage when Soundgarden hit the stage, and I had an attitude. Fuck these guys. I, I want to see what's so fucking special about them. Chris Cornell, all these fucking long haired motherfuckers. I'm punk rock. Yeah. I'm the fucking real deal, bro. And I remember I sat on the stage, and I fucking got my ass handed to Dude, me. I can just imagine. You'd I be s- like, Dude, gang, gang, oh. gang, 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 Can I tell you right now When Chris Cornell hit the stage I knew right then And I I had to have a moment with God and the universe And I I said to myself I remember it like it was yesterday I knew, and I'm being fucking straight I knew right then I didn't have it Wow I knew right then I go, you got some of it, Joe You got some of it And you know what, you got enough 
that's it's cool. But there's that thing. But I don't have what Dak. I don't have what Chris Cornell has. I knew right then, and you know, so I knew it. I also knew this. I also knew my band. I remember listening. And we sounded like this. It was very, it was very small. Sonically, it wasn't, it wasn't gonna, it wasn't gonna move a lot of air. We were a great band and we were great, but we weren't gonna move the masses like Pearl Jam was, or in that day they fucking slayed it. All I'll say is this: my band got dropped, and we were, we were fucking hung out to dry. And I was holding the. It was right when I started the label. I was holding the band together with duct tape, dude. We were gonna do one tour. I put the record out by myself. This is the record that went on to do well, 13 Unlucky Numbers, Spike Jones. But at this point, none of that's in the, we don't even have a label. And I, I put it out myself on side one dummy with my partner and I'm holding together the band with duct tape. They're like on the verge of quitting. And I'm just, I'm just like, I'm, 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 I have a credit card. I rent a, I'm just holding it together, dude. And I remember right before we leave on tour, we're at Cole rehearsal and there's this huge tour bus out front. We're practicing in one of the rooms. Someone goes, yeah, dude, fucking Stone Temple. Oh, that's cool. You know, I'm not thinking about it. I haven't seen Scott fucking since he got in the rock and roll fucking <laughs> spaceship. Yeah, yeah, dude. Last, you know, he's flying a fucking. He's been through like nine hair colors at oh. this point. Yeah. He's, yeah. He's, he's, he was, and, and, he was and, like the white Miles Davis. He was so fucking cool, dude. Yeah. And and at this point, you know, the tour bus out front and, you know, they're, they're I don't even think, I don't even know if they're there. They might be rehearsing in the main room or whatever. This is 94, 95, I think. Um, and I remember we got done and we're loading our van. And it's like, we're going on this tour that no one really wants to go on. But Joe's making us do it because I'm convinced something's going to happen with our band. And um, I remember I hear this, Joe. I'm like, I'm loading the van. I'm like, what? I'm looking around. Joe, Sib, over here. And I look. And in between two cars is Scott. And I'm, it was the weirdest thing, dude. He goes, come over here. I'm like, hey, what's up, Scott? And then he gets down on like on his knee. Like, and I'm like, and I and it's just weird. Like, I go, okay, I guess, I guess we're getting down on our knees. But he was already at that point where he was tripping, dude. Yeah. Like, I'm like, and I he's really, strung out. You're saying I don't that. think he's strung out. I think he's he's, but he's, but he's he's such a star that I think he thinks like I have to do. We got to get down low because if someone sees me, it turns into a scene. Now I'm not saying there was drugs involved. I I'm not a drug guy, so I don't know. Yeah. Like I, I hang out with people till five in the morning when I was a kid, and they're on cocaine. And you're like, and I, I was oh, like, oh, I thought so. We're not going to start this business together. Yeah, we just talked about it all night. Yeah, you told <laughs> me we're starting a band together. Like I didn't know that. Like I thought people were just super stoked. No, I'm on cocaine. Yeah. They're, they're oh. fucking blow, dude. And then they would think I'm like a Superman. They're like, you're doing this without cocaine. I'm like, yeah. You know, but so the point was Scott was sitting there and he, and, he, and we're talking and he goes, Hey man, how's it been? I'm like, dude, Scott's good to see you. And he's like, Hey man, I heard you started your own label. And I was like, yeah. And he was so like, all I kept at, like, how do you do that? What, what did made you think of that? And I go, well, we got dropped. He goes, I know I heard you guys got dropped, man. And he, and, he, and I'm sitting there, he goes, well, do you have a, he goes, do you have a copy of the record? And I go, yeah. And back in the day it's a CD. So I go, I give him a CD. So I kind of have another one. And I go, yeah. He goes, can you give me two more? And I'm like, okay. So I'm giving him like, now he has five of my CDs and we start talking. He's looking at him and I'll never forget, dude. He's just staring at it. And he's, he, I'm like, is he fucking with me? But like, he's, is this your logo? I go, yeah, it's our logo. Wow. So like, who do you do this with? I go, well, I do it with my partner, Bill. Oh yeah. Yeah. Bill Armstrong. That's cool. Wow, man. 
it, it, are all the guys, is it still the same guys? Oh, yeah. He's like, oh, it's so, man. Fuck, okay, I can have these? I'm like, yeah. He's like, okay. He, and I go, man, we hug each other. Later, bro. He goes his way, I go my way. We go out on that tour, dude. We were fucking a done deal. It was we, bad. It was bad. Oh, dude. We, it, I mean, because how old are you guys? Two? Oh, dude. We're all 20. 23, 23, 24 Which years is still old. young, but still it's like struggling. Dude, is- our bass player said the best thing to me one time because I was from punk rock. These dudes from Chicago were like, bro, get in the van isn't a good story to us. They were like, dude, we don't want, we, we got into a band to travel on a bus, not in a van. Like that's not our scene. Like that's a, that's a known thing. And I was like, they said to me straight up on this tour, they were like, dude, we didn't sign up for this. Playing the punk house with no heat and, and the bathrooms that don't work and we're sleeping in the van, we're not into it. And, and when we get back to LA, dude, it's done. And I was like, fuck. And I remember we were driving back I, in this pre-cell phones. My, my, uh, my, my um, you know, at that point, uh, a Karen, my wife now, it's like, dude, last night, you'll never believe it. Scott Whelan started playing Wax on K-Rock. And I go, what? So yeah, I played California. They're played it this morning. Long story short, the reason we got re-signed is because Scott Whelan started playing Wax on K-Rock at a time when K-Rock mattered and radio mattered. And by the time we got home, we had a whole new deal on the table from Jimmy Iving of Interscope Records because Scott Whelan basically started playing the record on K-Rock. K-Rock added it. And to we, the rotation. To the rotation. And, then, and, and then it's the be- rest is history. And before we knew it, we were setting a dude on fire with Spike Jones. Fuck yeah, dude. I fucking love that. All because of Scott. I love that. That definitely is a new day, right? And it was a new day, right? It was a new day. That goes into the next song, "The Girl <laughs> on he- Who Lives on Heaven Hill," which was was one of the most catchy songs on the record. Absolutely, super intense. Uh, the chorus is just so singable. Play the play the chorus, Peter. Uh, the more you read it, the it's about getting drunk and fantasizing about a girl. Now, there were some different theories about it, but you re- listen to the lyrics. It's, There's a girl who lives on Heaven Hill. I go up to her cabin still. She keeps a lantern lit for me and a bottle on her mantelpiece. Now, I found out that Heaven Hill and cabin still are whiskeys. I did not know that. And it reminds me of being accepted by a woman no matter what state you're in. Can you take me back to the woman who were reliable in these scenarios, even though you yourself were a mess? Oh, my wife. Hands down. How so? Oh, because I was never a mess. Like, I'm a mess emotionally. You know, like, I mean, like, not a mess. You're the, this is what was so funny is that, like, originally I was going to be doing another comic with this who's a lot darker. And I, thought, I was like, <laughs> oh, well, this will go with that. But you're, you are this very positive dude yeah You're, you have like a great energy everybody loves you in the comedy scene and in, and in every other scene i mean i went and did one of your shows inside one dummy yep. and it was just like everybody was like oh dude fucking you, you you know you know how do you know joe and i was like dude this motherfucker is popular <laughs> so i get it so but so but describe me i didn't mean to cut you off no no i i mean um but you know what though and and and, and this is this is just being honest, it, what Karen has had to put up with is a lot of highs, and the you know it's not you know like like I, it's the same reason why being in a band with a dude that wants to practice on Christmas to some people you're like oh my god I love that and 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 that'd be a gr- that'd be great to have that person in my life but it does come with it comes with a lot of a lot of a lot of ups and downs emotionally and not like not like I I can go super dark and like I like I've never had to deal with depression that's what but I understand that's why I've never said. 
when people say, oh, it's depression. Oh, come on, get over it. Because I understand that as high as I'm feeling just from being naturally just up and full of energy that I could understand that it can go dark and it can go super dark and get quick. I think when I think of my wife, because I've been with her now 27 years, you know, I'm 51. I've been with her 27 years, more longer with her than I haven't. Yeah. She's had to deal with, she was there when I did get dropped. She was there when I got signed. She was there when I got kicked out of wax, you know, cause I got kicked out of wax too. I, I didn't learn my lesson. You know, <laughs> uh, she was there when I started 22 Jack. She was there. She's been there. And even with stand up. you know, one of the things she said to me when I started stand up, and, and I'm starting my, I'm starting my official 10th year right now. Congratulations. Thank you. And, um, one of the things she said to me when I started, she said, I, I really want you to do this and I and I'm and I'm down for it, but I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you like if you get kicked out of this thing, I'm gone. <laughs> no, I'm she, gone. If you kick yourself <laughs> out. No, all she said to me was, Joe, just do me a favor. Do it for the right reasons. I mean, she didn't say that. She said basically, Joe, do, do me a favor. Just have fun with it and don't try to take it so seriously that you suck the life out of it because you tend to do that. Just you gotta make it fun. I've done this where you get we all like, have. I want this. Why don't I have that? Like this, this guy got the show and not me. I've, I've replayed so much shit in my head over the years that now I am doing it strictly for the love of it. And by doing that, everything is working out. I created this. I created uh, the goddamn comedy jam, whatever it is. It's just because if you love something and you put love behind it, it's going to take off and, and you've already won. And also, and also if you tend to, Take something so seriously, you tend to choke the life out of it. And what I and what I believe is that what Karen, to answer your question, has has taught me, and what we've gone through together is is that through my ups and through my downs, she was always there, but she always was able to call me out on my bullshit, and and she could be supportive. But a lot of times in a relationship, you're 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 looking for someone to be supportive of of you when you are fucking up and you are being being you're in the wrong. And what I love about my relationship with her, she is, she always will call me out on my bullshit to this day. And I love that about her. So going back to this song, she's always been very accepting of who I am and dealing with the, the, Oh my God, I'm so stoked, but also being a great balance. And I feel like this song, he shows up, like he says, she's, she's there you know, at the last line is like uh, with the something and mattress. What's that last line? He's, it was is the girl lives on heaven. Hill. Yeah, girl lives on heaven. Hill. Uh, uh, so I trade big mountains and rooms full of gold for just one look at the beauty of this woman's soul. Up on heaven hill is where I want to be. That girl, that bottle, that mattress in me. There you go. Because, he, you know, and you know, I, I don't think it's so. I mean, you could look at it like, OK, she's going to have sex with him or whatever. And they have that relationship. But for me, maybe it's a Tempur-Pedic. You know, but for we have me, no idea. Sleep number. There you go. But Did they for, have sleep numbers back. Then? Yeah. Probably not. Sleep numbers. <laughs> but I, that last line, I think, kind of just ties that all together. You know what? And this this the way you just said ties into the next song. I apologize. Uh, um, it's uh, standout track. Uh, Peter, just play as much of it as you want, because I love this song. This is probably where I see uh, their influence on the band Green Day. Yeah, okay. A hundred percent. I okay. think if you compare this song to a couple of Green Day's earlier stuff, it sounds my, so my, much like My it. favorite lyrics 
Yeah, the chorus, you know, it's like, I apologize, but it, is it something I said when I lost, lost my, my mind? mind? My temper too quick makes me blind. I would say right now, for me, even in my, my adult life at this exact moment in time, those lines are so important. Sorry. No, it's all good. You're into it. I get it. Those <laughs> long songs, that's so important. They still, because, still resonate right now at this moment. Because this is a song about not just an argument, it's about the argument. That's what I saw. There's a difference between the two. And the argument is one that cycles every once in a while in a relationship where you, where you have no fucking control over the discussion. And your partner believes one thing and it's just you trying to convince them otherwise. So thinking about an argument just like in this song that you had with your wife or significant other who you want to say where you thought later, and it could be years later, that I wish I argued differently or had stressed a particular point. Do you have anything that, that really flashes before you? You know what? Um, with my kids. Yeah. I've said stuff that I wish I would have never said. And it's, but it's, is it, I mean, like hurtful things. Yeah. As a dad, not, not like hurtful things they can't get over, but, uh, stuff that like, you know, um, just in the moment it stays. It stays. I, my dad, my dad fought, he fought. I mean, it was like my dad never really hit me, but he verbally abused me and put me down, which is great because it put that fire inside of me to do all of this. Then that's and then he died right before I fucking made it. Ugh. Right before it, all I wanted oh, wow. to do was be like, dude, I made more money than my sister in 2017. <laughs> more money. She's a fucking doctor, yeah. but I made more money yeah. than her. True. She's, you know, yeah. 30, she did the first 37 years, she was undefeated, but I got her yeah. in year 38. Yeah. And it's like that verbal abuse. Yeah. I would say you were abusing your no, kids. No, 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 no. I would know definitely... what, what I'm saying. No, I, what I'm saying is I've said things that, you know, like I've said things that it was never something like you're, a, you know, it was never like two faced. It wasn't, it would never be like something like you're a fucking idiot or anything like that. Yeah. But it, it would, it would be something that was a backhanded burner. And, you know, that's something that, like, I've really worked on in the last, you know, in the, and recently because I'm like, you know what? Uh, yeah. And you, and you, you get mad, you know, you're dealing with teenagers. Granted, some of the things my kids have said to me are fucked up. Like, it, we live in a day and age. It's not like it was when I was growing up. Like, you taught you. you that's know. why you got kicked out of wax. Dude. Oh, my God. Do you know how many times my son has argued with me? We've had arguments where my son goes, you're not even funny. You're not even funny. Oof. You know? Or, or, or like, you know, like, he knows. Did you see my set of flappers last night? <laughs> I fucking murdered. Get in your goddamn room. And then he would say, it's flappers. <laughs> it ain't the store, bro. It ain't the store main stage. You're not getting past. Your name's not even on the building, bro. Oh, my God. We're already thinking that. <laughs> Regardless, and you got your kid, your seed saying that shit to you. But what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is for this particular thing, this particular moment in time, I with, you know, and there's people I love in my life. You know, there's so many people I love in my life that I have said things that this song, what I'm saying is those lyrics, you know, once again, you know, saying something, you know, my temper makes me blind. That's the keyest line in this song for me personally. I love it. And this goes into the next song, Folklore. It's a minute oh. and 36 seconds of straight punk yes. with a message. Now, this wasn't one of my favorite songs on the record. Until... But but, well, I read the lyrics. Once you then, read the lyrics. And then, see, listen, but that doesn't mean I like the song, just I can respect the lyrics. 
Uh, now the woman screams for equal rights and man wants to have an affair. Children learn to hate the world. No one seems to care. Now the kids play vids they, instead. And this is the part I love. Their heroes are living on Wonder, Wonder Bread. Bread. Love the les- it. The lesson I learned in a history book is not what they taught me. It's all folklore, basically. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little... A little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. And my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick, and usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work, but we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics... Um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot and listen to Axe to Grind podcast. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now on Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts. What is the most important lesson your parents have instilled upon you? Be honest, love what you do, and work hard, and never let anyone make you feel bad for working hard. No, I like that. That's really good. All right, well, this is now, because I wanted to skip over that one and make that one quick to get into this one, If I Told You. Now, this is a good song, and what I loved about it is that it keeps getting more and more intense as it goes. Now, I know the story about um, about Bob. Mm-hmm. So Bob was homosexual. Yep. And trying to figure out this song, is this, is this a song about depression? Is this a song about drug abuse? Is this a song about struggling with your sexuality? Because it's now, if I told you that it wasn't easy... Why do I say easy? If I, no, if I told you it wasn't easy... <laughs> gang, gang, do, it, do, it, do it like Axel. How if do you, I told you that it wasn't easy... <laughs> That's fucking good. If I told you, honey, would you believe me? I couldn't convince you if I tried. You weren't around all the times that I cried. I was crying. Is this a song about being gay and not being able to tell anyone? That is kind of a... You know, what I love about it is that it doesn't matter what relationship it could pertain to. It just pertains to it. Does that make sense? And I really do feel for him at this point, 
this is kind of him scratching the surface. We don't know it, maybe. We don't, we're not listening. I'm not listening to this at New Day Rising going, yeah, dude, fucking my, my gay bro, Bob. That's rad. Like fucking stoked for him. You're just like, this is just a jam, dude. This is, this is hitting me over the head right now. If I told you, you know, I'm, I'm 16 year old kid listening to it. Like, yeah, whatever. But then when he starts sugar and, and, and those things, he's, he, he just writes more and, and detail. It's really, it's really just the beginning of where he's going to go. I think as a writer, that's just. That's what I felt. Fuck yeah. And then we were talking about this as you walked up. Celebrated Summer. This favorite is, song on the record. This is your favorite one? Favorite song on the record because, okay, well, I'll let no, you do no, your no, thing. No, 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 do it, do it. I well, please. no, you're going to ask me a question well, and I'll tell you why. Okay, so uh, this is, it's catchy as fuck. Uh, it's the, like you said, it was the first single off the record. And what I loved, it's about, a, it's about being a teen, enjoying life. Play minute one second 24 into the breakdown because it's just so fucking good when the sun disintegrates between a wall of clouds I love the line, you know, in April time, they add another hour. You know, he's talking about daylight oh, saving. Dude, that was my, one of my favorite lines. Here's mine. Getting drunk out on the beach or playing in a band and getting out of school meant getting, getting out, out of hand. hand. Which is just like, I mean, I, listen, I, when you were sitting down and you were talking to me about, you know, being in that band the first time. It, me, it was me, Tassos, Ben, uh, Dave Cullen, and Kevin Pagini. I keep in touch with a few of them. And that was the best time in my life. Just like, because I had nothing, and it was I was invincible, and we thought nobody knew our music, our music sucked, but we would just <laughs> go out, and we would just play in Tassos' basement, and I felt like a rock star, and then we'd go out on his porch, and we'd smoke Marlboro Reds, and we'd just be like, dude, you hear that, you know, you hear that fucking, that riff I came up with, yeah, good, and we would just talk, and just dream, and it's just... It's like, listen, like I'm 39 and I still dream because I know what I'm doing and I only I love everything that's happening. But I look back at that time and it was just it was celebrated. Yeah. But what it did was remind me about the wildness, if that's even a word of, of being a teen. Now, how wild were you as a teenager? It sounded like you had very hip, cool parents or at least hip enough that your dad's like, go skateboarding. But I mean, how like, you know, when, when he says I mean, this stuff yeah. in the song, like, how do you relate to that? So, I mean, the, the reason this song hits me over the head so much is and this song was always one of my favorite. It, it basically I love summer like I, I, I've, I knew at a, at a young age. I love summer, summer so much. Like I, even in one of my bands, I had a song called "Summer Day," uh, "Summertime System," and it was all about, you know, the love of summer, the love of not actually having the responsibilities of the rest of the year. And I know that it, it, it sounds silly because you're like, well, what, what? You go to school your whole entire life, and then all of a sudden, you, no. But what I love about summer is, you know, I grew up, I grew up in Santa Cruz, I grew up in California, so like skateboarding and surfing are just that's just what I that what I love like to this day I still skateboard to this day I still surf um what I love about the summer and what what this song really touches on is that summer's not going to be there forever you know you, you know you just said hey I'm I'm what are you 38 39 39 okay so let's call 40 let's say you live to 75 so it's 50 it's 35 so let's say this you really maybe might have right now you ready for this yeah. 36 summers left in your life and when Fuck. you think of life 
Now, I'm 51, dude, so I got less. And and I remember a buddy of mine said that once to me. This guy that I used to surf with all the time. He said, "Hey, man, you know, he, I wasn't gonna, you know, it was, it was summer, and he's like, dude, come on down. We're gonna surf. You know, we're gonna stay at San Onofre. We're gonna barbecue." And I was like, and I was like, oh no, no, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. And then he said to me, he goes, "Sib, dude, we only got, you know." We're, we're about to go down to like double hands on our summers. You know, like we're down to, we're down to double digits, dude. Like we're, it could, you know, sooner or later it's going to be single digits. And I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, Joe, you think about it. You got 30 summers left. You know, you can visually see those 30, you can see 30 things in yeah. front of you. And this song to me, when it says celebrated summer, is it really, it, you really need to celebrate Maybe it's not summer, but you really need to celebrate life because we're only here for. So, we're, I, mean, I know it's crazy, but you are here. That time in your life, you know, d- doesn't necessarily need to end. Like I feel like in your adult life, like you still, you, you don't have to. You don't have to just think. I got to work, and then I get married, and, and I don't know if that's. I don't even know now with with young people if that's even a thing. I don't know if it's like, yeah, I got to get married. Now they're into eating ass now. <laughs> they're really into. There it. is a lot of eating. A lot of ass, ass eating. It's some guy said, "Eat the booty like groceries" in a song, and then it changed fucking everything. Now kids eat ass. Eat ass regularly. Kitty Kitty Peters ate my ass the first time, and uh, you know I thank her for that. Wow! Yeah, that was I was twenty one, right about turned twenty one. Damn, not many people have eaten ass. Yeah, but I, mean, I don't know why we're talking about summer. Yeah, it happened, anyway, happened in the may, fall. Actually, maybe maybe so. during the summer. Maybe that's when you say. I've decided- I don't think you want to eat ass in the summer, dude. <laughs> if that's if you're gonna do it, eating ass is like a is like a late fall November. <laughs> it's like you know what I mean. It's nice and cold. You know, there's not. You're not of- thinking eating ass after a six hour drive. Fuck fucking no, sitting on the seat, dude. Oh my god. My point being, yeah. this song. Uh, you know, to go back to your question, like, was I like, do I have like any of those out of hand moments? I mean. For me, I, I was a, like I said, I never got into drugs. I never, so I never have like that. But I was out of hand in the sense of like, I, I was always the, the I was the kid that like like I said, I I wanted to, I I threw the parties. I uh, I went to the shows. I was the kid that you know was I did the you know it was stage dives. It was punk rock shows. It was drinking beers with my friends. Was it? Is there stories of like yeah? Did you get out of hand? Sure. But for me, I knew I I feel really blessed. I knew while it was all going on, it wasn't going to last forever. So I really, I really enjoyed, and I really kind of burned those memories onto my brain of these great nights, and especially a lot of great summer nights. Beautiful, you said it perfectly. So we just heard a little bit of perfect example. Now. I don't like this song. <laughs> I didn't like this one at all. It, it's it's okay. It's just a mix of like punk and folk. But what I did like, once again, you know, I may not have liked the way it sounded, but I like the lyrics. Because from what I know about Bob, this is a tortured Bob song, and it has his dark wit written all over it. The best line is, uh, I think I might lose my mind, but not my memory. So it's like he can't forget or lose the cause of his pain because that might just cause him to lose his sanity. And this sounds like, and throughout the record, just like uh, if I told you, it's just like this is a battered dude, man. If he is dealing with his homosexuality in an era where it's not free to come out, where you feel good and comfortable like it is now. It's 1985, and like you got to remember at this point too, it's, um, you know, the thing that was cool, I mean, 
in the punk rock community, sure, there there was a lot of people that were gay and that had come out, but you know, let's not lie and say like, oh, it was all high fives. You know, like the scene, there was a lot at that point, nineteen five, man. You got to remember, skinhead movement is still pre- prevalent, man. It is. I remember it is gnarly. Like there's. You go to San Francisco and there's you know, there's the Bay Area skinheads. You do not want to fuck fuck with those dudes. And then yeah. you go to Sacramento. You go to Portland. There, you know, there's still a lot of fucking heavy, ignorant fucking sections that are parts of the punk rock community that you just do not want there. You know, yeah. it's violent. So I could only imagine for him what that must be like when he comes and he's on tour with the Dead Kennedys. Now, hey, Dead Kennedys obviously make it clear Nazi punks fuck off. Don't come to our show, but. You roll through Austin. You roll through these places in the South. I remember going, first time I ever went to Austin, Texas on my first tour. First time I ever heard the N-word uh, in 1985, right around the time this record comes out, 86. I, I think we went on tour 86, 87 with Verbal Abuse. We go through the South. And I remember it's the first tour I ever go on with my band Frontline. And um, and our manager says, he it was crazy. We spent a month just in Texas. That's Because you know, wow. it's so big. Yeah, yeah. But was- I, I'll never forget going in in uh, uh, Houston, it was first time I ever heard the N word, and then I remember uh, being with the singer of Verbal Abuse, and we kind of ventured off to go get some food, and um, we walked into a, a into a, a bar or a, a thing, and I was kind of standing there. At this point, I have long spiky hair, and uh, we we walk in, and you could just feel an energy of like you know get the fuck out of here, and I'm like okay whatever, it's because we're punkers, and then I remember the the one of the members of verbal abuse goes grabs me goes do we gotta get the fuck out of here i go what are you talking about i haven't ordered a beer he goes let's get the fuck out yeah. of here. and what he told me was is when he went down the hallway there's pictures of like clans wow he, yeah yeah and i was like oh okay point taken now hey to anyone that's listening in, in you know texas and stuff hey that was just then I'm not saying it's like that now but with that said imagine bob mold being on tour dude you know, I mean, he, it's got to be. Sc- he, yeah, can't, he, he can't. He can't come out come and out. say, "Hey, man, check it out. This is how I feel. I don't even know how I feel. You know, I couldn't imagine. I can't speak for Bob Mole, but I. What I'm trying to say is, these lyrics are really, are really just the beginning of where he's going to go as a writer. I really believe that. There you and go. They, and it's funny because in the next song, "Terms of the Psychic Ward," uh, play the bass line that starts the song. It's fucking sick, yeah. dude. This is probably one of my favorite songs on the record. Then that goes into 59 times the pain. Catchy hook. Dark as fuck. About being disconnected both with yourself and your surroundings. And it's just about being a bitter, hateful person (laughs) altogether and wishing that could be changed. But unfortunately, there's 59 times that. So sample lyrics, don't want to live with myself, can't live with what goes on. All I see is the humiliation, wish it was gone. Uh, Now, see, you're not any of these. (laughs) You are honestly, like I said, one of the most positive people. So how do you stay such a positive person? Uh Cause it's like, like you're, you're are you telling me this stuff that like people in your band thought you were a dick. Yeah. And I'm like, how? cause I was, but how, like how, because, or, no, how do you go from that to this? Cause the thing you're, the thing that maybe, you know, the thing, if I'm, if I'm honest, you know, like, like dude, like me being me, me being honest is saying I'm not always positive. 
That's me being honest. Like, like what, what I'm saying is like when I was in a band with people, yeah, sure. I was positive and I, and I get things done, but with that, that positive energy, if, if I'm hundred percent honest is sometimes you, you have the eye, your eye so much on the prize that you can say hurtful things and, and do hurtful things to other people. Not like, not like burn people on money or like, Oh dude, I'm not going to do your song, but just say things like, you know, what the fuck, dude? Your amp's not working. Are you fucking moron? Come on. Yeah, well, dude, I, I had a I had a pawn my amp for rent. Well, you're a fucking idiot. Why do you you know like do you understand what I'm saying? Like, like you can you can still be considered a positive force, but sometimes the people you could roll over people that might not be as positive as you. And that's that's been my biggest struggle my whole life is it yeah i'm a positive dude i get shit done yeah do I, yeah do i own an independent label absolutely do i do i, do I you know do i co-own it with my best friend yeah but have there been times that my partner you know who's been with me for the whole ride said dude you gotta fucking step back a little bit bro you don't even hear yourself and i've had to learn that but with this song you know when you're when you're asking that of like what keeps me you know, if you were to say, okay, what keeps me positive daily? All right. Yeah. Eating right. Uh, going for a run. Um, you know, making sure I, I take care of myself healthy, you know, uh, making, you know, you know, cause you're 51, 50, and yeah, 51. you look younger than I do <laughs> and I'm 39. So obviously you didn't have a 10 year Oxycontin yeah. binge. Yeah. That's me people. But also you're Italian, so Italians seem to age. Yeah. They, you, Jews and Italians age basically the same. It's like they're very good looking, and then they just boom yeah. hit a wall, and we look like shit, dude. Oh, yeah. yeah, once, once, you know, I haven't hit the wall yet, but like once you do, it's fucking downhill quick. Yeah, but yours, you, you still, you fucking. I'm look lucky. Great at 51. I'm lucky. I'm lucky. All right, so but you take care of yourself. I, you know what? Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, I've always, you know, I eat well. I yeah, I try to eat well. I I, I love to run. I, st- I you know I stay. I pump the brakes on the partying. And like, you and you surround yourself around positive people. I, I do. Mean, that's that's I think ultimately one of the things yeah. that really keeps you in good spirits is just the people that you surround yourself. I'm I've a- been very fortunate. Like I said, you know, I've been in the same relationship with my wife for 27 years. I've been partners with my 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 friend Bill with Side One Dummy. I mean, we we've we were in the same room with each other for over. 20 years every wow. day and and we never got in an argument i mean like we still you know he was it's just very i'm very fortunate to have uh great relationships and um and also dude i'll be honest like i still skate and i still surf so it's like those things i think keep me super young uh not skipping over power line because i like that song but i want to get down to books about ufos ah. there's fucking ragtime piano play a little bit of it peter so good it's so fucking good it's like an irish pub song and to me this is the most accessible song on the record play the chorus peter It's a unique love song. That's what it's about. Yeah. He likes the weird girl. Now, who's singing this one, though? You got to bring it. It's not It's not Bob. Is it Grant? I believe so. Is yeah, it Grant drummer. It's singing the drummer. It? Yeah. Grant's the drummer. Grant's the drummer. It's Grant and Bob that trade vocals a lot. She tells the same old story to everyone that she knows. She's just sitting in a room reading books about UFOs. Like I said, it's about the weird girl. She's kind of an outcast and lonely because everyone thinks she's weird. But this guy likes her. Have you always been in the in crowd? Oh, no. No, no, no. Like, no. 
Uh, Do you mean like popular? popular? Popularity. Have you always, so what would you say? Have you always been in the in or the out crowd? I don't know, man. Like into me is like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't feel like I'm an in hip happening dude. I just feel like I'm a dude that. I mean, you're opening, you're, you and Jim are opening for Metallica. That's yeah, about I, as in as you can be. Yeah, I but mean, I feel like it's funny. I feel like, I feel like Jim and I both look at each other every night and go, oh my God, we're such nerds if they only knew. Like we're, we're just nerds for the band. Like we're just super fans. Like yeah. literally like, wait a minute. So you're, you know, like w- tell me, I'm I just like, you know, we're on tour with Metallica and we're still like, dude, there they are. Like we could see them every day and we're still nerding out. I still feel like a kid that grew up in the Santa Cruz mountains that was really into magic and the magicians were my first rock stars. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. maybe you've told me that. I, yeah, magicians were my first rock star. I Houdini. I mean, dude, like, I got tickets to Copperfield. Dude, oh. my, my dad took me. My dad took me to see Doug, um, Doug Henning. My whole thing with with magic, like I, I was fully in the magic. I was fully into like, I thought the I thought like the village people were cool. So like, I've never felt like I'm one of those. I just felt like I'm super lucky. And I and I I'm just good enough to hang out. Does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. I don't know what you're talking about. Good song. It's the typical I don't understand you yeah. song from a parent's point of view. Then that it's more from like the parents' point of view than the teenagers. And now teens have a tendency to think that they know everything they need to know when in fact they do not. So what are some things that your parents told you or said to you that you didn't understand until you got older? Probably when they got divorced. Well, you know, so stuff like you, that. No, just like, you know, you're like, you don't understand why people are moving out. And then as you get older, you're like, oh, my God. And then once you get married, you're like, holy shit. Thank you for staying together as long as you did. And also just, you know, uh, raising kids. You know, I, like I said earlier, um, I, you know, I, I'm not the best parent. I'm not the best husband. Um, I, I am constantly working on being better, better at that game. Um and um, I remember one point, I remember one time when I had my, I, I don't know how old my kids were, but I sent an email to my mom and dad and I said to them, hey, I just want you both to know, um, you were great parents and the fact that you, that you were as cool to me as you are, I know is such, is so hard to be because I have these two kids and I can't believe you guys just didn't every day want to punch me in the face because I was such a little shit to you. And it was that moment that, you know, I just realized that. So like that. That that's you know I I got an argument with my daughter a long time ago and I said hey you know look it's your first time being fifteen it's my first time being a parent to a fifteen year old so like let's meet somewhere and like figure not not like meet somewhere like just yeah. let's meet in the middle let's and meet like, in the middle and figure it out like I you know and, and she always laughs about that because she's like you're the only dad that would ever say that you know it's like but you're right. It's like you're both figuring it both out. She's figuring out life, and you're figuring out yeah. how to raise somebody that's figuring yeah. out about life. And it just it, Sometimes it just takes a while. This goes in to a song that's not even a song, How to Skin a Cat. I, I don't know. This, I, I always skip, skipped over it. Definitely a skipper. I'm going to tell you right now. <laughs> what you're drinking is the closest thing to me to a DC hardcore song. I, I heard that, yeah. and I was like, this is fucking shit that I know. What are you drinking? The song was also... Just another fun fact, cleverly disguised critique of the battle tactics used by British troop to end Leisler's rebellion in 1691. This is fucking, the internet tells you everything. Plans I make. This is how you end the album. Closes it. What a way to end the album. You know, it's organized noise. Lyrics are pretty much self-explanatory. 
the narrator has to make plans, friends, plans to plan, plans to make friends. How organized are you? Super. Yeah? Why are you like anal retentive? Dude. I mean, you got a, he's got a legal pad. That's what he's trying to show me. No, what I'm trying to show you right now is like I came prepared. Like I'm an organized dude. You know, like uh, I've always been that way uh, my whole entire life. Like I, I'm, I'll tell you this right now. When I started Side One, we started Side One Dummy Records in 95. And I, I used to do this thing every day, a to-do list. Like wake up in the morning, January 10th, to-do. And I'd write down all the shit that I got to do, all the things I got to do, all the people you got to call, all the things you got to do. So I had that to-do list, you know, 95. And then you'd go, you know, you'd go through the whole year. And at the end of the in there, and I would staple a new sheet on every day. And then I would take that list and I'd throw it and then at the office. And then what ended up happening is I kept throwing it in this one box. The other when we when we moved out of our Hollywood location over to our new location in Glendale, when they were cleaning out the warehouse, they found this box, and I'm not making it up, from ninety-five till about, you know, two thousand fourteen, two thousand twelve, thirteen, maybe fifteen. All of my to-do sheets, they're all there. So I could, you could literally say, Joe, what were you doing on uh, 1998? Fucking A, and I have dude. It. I, I have no idea how to plan yeah, anything. Yeah, I plan everything that way. Because I've all, and even like if you if you talk to any of the bands that like, you know, that I was hands-on with, you know, because there were some bands I was more hands-on with than other bands like like Gaslight Anthem or Flogging Molly or Gogo Bordello. You know, like a lot of those bands that I, that I was responsible more for is not resigning, but for like working with like, hey, Joe, this is, you know, you're doing this, or you're doing that. Because Bill and I and people at the office, we always split things up. One of the things I say to all the bands is have a plan. And it was always like, let's have a three-year plan. They go, okay. Because if you don't have a plan, nothing happens. But if you do have a plan, it usually changes for the better. Everything is going to change. But have a plan and it'll change for the better. That's, that. that's my fucking words of wisdom. Do you want to do some facts? Let's go. Let's do some facts. Let's do some facts. Let's do some facts. Oh. New Day Rising right there. That's, dude, that's, this is my shit, dude. This is my favorite part of the whole thing. Facts. The members of Huskadoo first performed together with Grant Hart, Bob Mould, Greg Norton, and keyboardist Charlie Pine. And they began playing in 1979 in a band called Buddy and the Returnables. Uh, at the time, Mold was a freshman at Macalester College and frequented Cheapo Records, a St. Paul record store where Hart was a sales clerk. Uh, Hart and Norton hit it off, and they started applying for the same jobs, which Norton eventually got. Hart and Mold bonded over their shared love of the Ramones, just like you, and soon after enlisted Norton and Pine to form a band. They began gigging, playing mostly cover songs and classic rock, and frequented Ramones tunes. Unbeknownst to Pine, the remaining band members disliked the sound of the band with Pine's keyboards and began practicing without him and writing a few originals and then eventually dropping him. Now, we already talked about you getting fired. <laughs> Have you ever had to fire somebody? Oh, from a band? From whatever. Um, I'm not going to lie. You know, owning a company for... 24 years, you know, you've had you to, have to drop people. Yeah. You know, and I, and those, that, that, that's, you know, I remember one time, uh, you know, someone said something like, what's the worst thing about owning a label? And my partner and I were sitting there and we were talking and, and he, I was like, well, you know, I, I didn't really have an answer. And then my partner said the best thing he said, the hardest thing is not being able to make all the bands as big as, they wanted to be ever wonder what a punch from elton john feels like or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in nirvana 
or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room. Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. And, and the thing is, is that you work just as hard on, you know, like everything you do with Flogging Molly, you do with the other band. And then, and it just doesn't connect, you know, and, 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 and it's it just, you know, and it's heartbreaking because you see how hard those people are working, but it just doesn't connect. So, you know, it's hard when a band kind of, you know, starts to, starts to fall apart. And at the end of the day, you know, it's not called, it's called show business. It's not called show friendship. So there's yeah. the business part of it. And that's the part, you know, that I hate sometimes, but also, you know, sometimes those things have to work their way in there. It's not fun. Husker Du, it's both Danish and Norwegian for Do You Remember? And was the name of a board game in the 1970s in which the child can outwit the adult. Uh, what type of a winner or loser are you? I don't know. Um, I think, I don't, I mean, like, I'm not like a, if I win something, I'm, you know, I'm usually like, oh, cool. Uh, you know, yeah, that happened. That's great. And then might get super self-conscious about it and not talk about it, you know, like, Oh yeah, that's cool. And you know, have, you know, like just like, okay, cool. I don't want to, I don't want to run, you know, I don't want to run around town telling everyone. And then if I'm a loser, I'm on something, I'm kind of just like, all right, you know, I got to work harder. I get it. You don't, you don't brag when you win. Yeah. Like right now, like right now it's funny. There's this photo that someone sent me from the Metallica tour. I mean, I'll show it to you. It's, it's this insane photo, but I can't bring myself to post it. Not that it's like I won something, but it's so insane that it makes me just go, I don't know, is that is it's just like a dick thing to do if I post it because it's just like, okay, we get it. You're on tour with this legendary band and there's this moment I'm having with the audience and it's I just can't bring myself. Yeah, you post that, dude. Should I post? I don't oh my fucking I just god! Feel like- Here's you got Joe Sib. You've got a full arena of people. You got this Mexican, you know, emo <laughs> yeah. rocker dude just looking right at the camera. Holy shit! You gotta post that. See, but but see, it's like, not bragging. See, but okay, it's see, just, it's see, just that, you could just put it, put a tag like "time of my life." Yeah, but see, like that photo right there to me is a very like I don't want to use the word like winning, but it's a very moment like you know like one of the things about getting the Metallica tour that I had, as I realized when I was when I found all those those uh, to do lists from nineteen ninety five. And then I found like, it was crazy. I found my old, like, this is people are like, what? Like back in the day, like when you went on, when you went on tour, you had a, you're, you, you know, you knew people, you had this little phone number book and you, you'd write in there like Josh, you know? And I, and with me, I'd always write something next to it. Like, you know, where were you from? Uh, Germantown, Maryland. So I'd be Josh, like, Germantown. Yeah. I'd be, no, I'd be like Josh East coast, I'd be like East coast, Josh, because there'd be my West coast, Josh. And then there'd be like, there'd be like, um, you know, I wh- had a sheet of paper. Yeah. I had one go. sheet of paper that I carried everywhere in my wallet. So that I had found everybody's that. number. On okay. It. Fuck I, dude. So I found that and I was looking at that and I was seeing people's names in there. Like, Oh my, like from the eighties. And I was like, Oh my God. And then I was, I was looking at these to do lists and I was sitting there and then on top of it, you know, I'm looking around, I'm like, you know, I'm looking around at all the music, and then all of a sudden, it hit me, 
like being on tour with Metallica is really a bookend. It, 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 and it, who knows what happens in the future, but I can really like when this tour ends on March 13th, you know, and that's our last date and the show that we're putting on, like where we started and where we are now is, is night and day. And, and because of Jim, he let me really have like, like we did this, we definitely put together a show together and he, he took my input and, and, and I mean, if you came and saw it, you'd, you'd see my input everywhere and then you'd see Jim's and it's yeah. a really two man opening show. And he didn't need to do that. He could have said, Hey Joe, sh- check it out. I could give a fuck what you think. They hired me. You, you, I brought you in. Maybe you get on a fucking flight home and I fucking get someone else here to spin music. Cause I don't need to hear, it. but he didn't, he was like, dude, uh, you know, I, what do you think about this idea? And then all of a sudden I was like, dude, can I tell you my honest opinion? He's like, that's why you're here. Okay. Yeah, and then all of a sudden we, you want. we started riffing and we came up with all these ideas and then he would come up with these amazing ideas and I'd be like, Oh my God, put it right here. And he'd be like, okay, great. So it was just the thing. But my point being is when this tour ends on March 13th or wherever, and, and we did all the shows, like there's a part of me that, that looks on everything and goes, what? And I know this, this goes back to that neat freak of mine. It's such a great period, like not period of like time, the, the, the grammar, grammar, it's like a, it's a bookend. It's a nice, it's a nice end to a paragraph. It's just so neat and clean. Tell me about your life. I started out as a punker playing in, in bands, moved to LA, started a label, had a great run, signed all these great bands, got into stand-up comedy at 40 years old. Oh, and then, Hey, check it out. I, I went on tour with Metallica for 48 days and played arenas that I love now that I watch on TV and I go, Oh, I saw the sharks playing the other night. Yep. Did that arena. Oh, Las Vegas nights did that arena. Like I always wanted to have that. I thought I was going to have it as a singer in a band. I never thought I'd have it as a comic and yeah. as a DJ. I'm not a DJ. Yeah, funny how life works out. That's what I'm saying. Never, so what I'm trying to say is when it comes to winning and losing, like I don't even think of it that way. I just feel like, fuck man. I can't even believe it happened. I love that. Oh my God. All right. Music helped mold work through his chaotic childhood and alcohol abuse, along with coming to terms with being a gay man in a rock band. This is a little bit heavier question. What are your biggest insecurities? My biggest insecurities? I mean, now more than ever, uh, not being the best father I can be for my kids. Yeah. You know, like if I'm, you know, that's, you know, that, yeah, that's the biggest, you know, it used to be, you know, like, you know, before you have kids, you're, you know, cause you're just thinking of yourself. You're like, yeah, I didn't, did, I didn't make enough money that I, you know, I don't have a gold record. And then all of a sudden you get a gold record and you do what everyone does. You just put it over in the corner. You don't even <laughs> hang that shit up, yeah. you know? Um, you know, I think right now my biggest insecurities would be, um, I just, I just want at the end of the day that like, when it's all said and done, I just would love my kids to say like, and my wife just to be like, you know what, dude? Like, yeah, he said some crazy shit. He did some crazy shit, but like, I know he loved me and he, and he just, you know, like, I know he loved me like, and I'm cool. Like, no, like, you know, he, he never said that. Like, I hope that would be it. Like, I just don't want anyone to be like, I gotta go to therapy because you know, like they just be yeah. like, dude, like, like me and my dad and my mom, where do the, like, we had crazy shit going on when we were, when I was growing up, there was some, you know, pretty, you know, some people had heavier stuff. I have my heavy stuff. It's not 
like a whole gymnasium full of weights, but there's definitely I had to put the weight belt on yeah. and deal with some shit. And my mom and my dad and me, we all said and did said more crazy shit to each other and, and mean things and things were said and time went by and you know, spaces we didn't see each other, but it's so great. Cause I say to them and this is so funny. Uh, they know, they know as my parents I, and they know it. I go, I go, man, when you die, and that moment's happening, know this, that you don't have anything to worry about with me and you. We are fucking cool. Good. You don't know what's going to happen at your funeral, but you know what I want to do? And I want to find out how you do this. Okay. I want to do two things. Okay. So I'm dead, right? I'm dead. It's gone. You're at the funeral because I'll probably go before you. Well, I know. Looking, judging by the I'm way you're going to be crying over the casket. No, like, no, 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 if no. I told you that you wouldn't no. believe me. No, 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 no. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but check it out. So let's say, you know, at my funeral, what I want to do is two things. Yeah. I want during the funeral a text to go out to everyone that's there. I don't know how we figure that out, but they all look at their phone. It says, hey, checking your text right now. I'm in that fucking box and you have the nerve to check this out. What up? It's Joseph, dude. I knew you would check it. So everyone does that. You ready? So then they laugh. They're like, dude, did you get this text? How do you fucking do that? And then you ready for this? I want, they're going to go, okay, you know, um, you know, Joe, you know, wherever the thing's at and people are speaking, they're going to go, all right. So, you know, uh, Joe's request is now, no matter what, I hate to say it, we all have to hang out together for a minimum of two hours by Joe's request. We're going to ask you all to stay. I know some of you were thinking you're going to catch a plane, whatever you guys stay. And we're going to listen to this mix that Joe made. And then I want the playlist to start with uh, the song, Come On Eileen, th- that 80s song. Yeah. Because that music puts you in the best mood. And that's what, a, and to be honest with you, that's what a funeral and should I, be. And then I want it to be. go from girls just want to have fun into fucking uh, I Will Melt With You, moder- like all the 80s jams. I love it. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come die so I can go to this dope oh. ass funeral. <laughs> All right, uh, a couple quick ones. Uh, the recording atmosphere was thus tense. New Day Rising appeared in January 1985, featured slower, more melodic material, continuing the trend away from the fast, hardcore punk of the band's earlier releases. This, coupled with the higher-quality musicianship and production, led fans to perceive the band as more commercial and the band defending themselves against accusations of selling out. What does selling out mean to you? I think selling out is when you're doing something and you're getting paid and you know that you don't want to do it and you're still getting a check and you're still selling it out by you're saying, oh gosh, this is so great what I'm doing right now. When in reality, you don't want to do it. You don't want to be a part of it. Uh, you know, years ago, I got a check because uh, I have really, I have, you know, my hair, my hair's, you know, it's, it's legit. And, and this barber has, is legit hair. Yeah. People. Like it, it's, it's yeah. super slicky. It's, it's crazy. Italian. It's I, so it's thick. Yeah. And I, and I sold out because this, you know, this group of people wanted to, you, they're like, Hey, we want to do this, 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 uh, commercial with you. And you're going to talk about your hair. And honestly, I just wanted to go on vacation and pay for the place. So I took, they said, what will it take to do? And I said, I literally called the person we rented the house from. And I said, hey, how much is the house rental? And they were like, yeah, uh, it's this number. And I, I called them back and I said, this, I, it was like a weird number too, like, like, like $4,389.95. They were like, well, we'll just give you $4,400. No, no, no. I just want four, you know, like whatever, you know. 
And it was like, I literally went, did this thing that was totally selling out. Later on, I saw it and I was like, oh my God, that's terrible. But I did it because I wanted the money to pay for the, we could all go on vacation as a family. Okay. Yeah. So if someone saw that, they're like, dude, I'd be like, yeah, I did that. Now, (laughs) Husker Du, come on. They signed to Warner Brothers. Anyone that's still, but I think those times are behind us, I hope. Anyone that still thinks you you make records and you tour and and you don't get paid for it, it's ridiculous. You know, you have to eat. You have to have a place to live. And you know what? If you're creating art, you should be able to do that. You know, do people think Kevin Hart sold out? I don't know. Do people think Dane Cook sold out? I don't know. Do people think Bill Burr sold out because he's doing the forum? I don't know. I don't think they are because I think they believe he's true to his art. Now, if all of a sudden you and I saw Bill Burr in a... um, uh, you know, fucking uh, Whole Foods commercial about how great life is and that when he drinks juice, he feels healthy. I'd be like, that motherfucker doesn't feel that way. No one starts a band to be small. If you do, you got you, that's okay. I've said to every band that, that I ever worked with, if you asked them, they, they might remember when I say to them, hey, just so we're on the same page, do you want to be huge? Does your band want to be huge? And I've only had one time in my whole time, and we ended up not working with that band, where I asked them, do you want to be huge? And they said, no. They said, no, we we like where we're at right now. And and not because I said, well, then we're not going to work with you. It just didn't work out. Uh, just a quick one, and then I'm going to get to the final one. Uh, band members Hartmold and Norton quickly realized that, and this is what the what they lived by, if the song is good, it will resonate no matter what the orchestration is. I just like that. And the final, final fact, and this has been so much fun, Joe. When Husker Du played an Indian reservation in Reno, the flyer listed the band as Who Screwed You? <laughs> Have you ever been misrepresented? <laughs> my my last name gets spelt wrong all the time. Hence, my you know, my, my real last name is Subiondo. And yeah. like everyone always says, and that's spelled S-U-B-B-I-O-N-D-O. First yeah. name, Joe. Okay. Uh, my my name is Joe Sib S I B people, and the only reason I go by Joe Sib is because when I was a kid in high school, punk rocker, I'm hanging out. I, I I go to this new high school, and I'm hanging out in the smoking section as you do. It's my first day, and this kid rolls up on me, and he's like, "Yo, what's up, man?" And there and there, this other guy's like, "Yeah, dude, this is Joe Sibiano. He's a new dude. Oh, that's cool." And then this kid named Terry Root goes. What's your name, bro? And I'm like, oh, I'm Joe Sibiano. He's like, oh, no, Eddie, you're Joe Sib. And I go, no, 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 it's Sibiano. He's like, nah, dude, you're you're Joe Sib. And like, it was one of those moments where like, you're like, well, no, it's not, and it's and it's not even spelled that way, bro. Like, it's S U. You're putting an S I B. Like, there's no I in it. He's, nah, dude, you're Joe Sib. What's up, Joe? And I and it was just like within moments, this like seven le- or six letters or whatever were just cut from my name, and I always was like, it was like so like okay. I remember living with my dad and within the first week, someone calling and being like, Hey, is Joe Sib there? And my dad was like, Joe Sib. And I'm like, Oh, that's for me. And then after I hung up, he's like, what's that? And I go, Oh, it's, it's, I guess he goes, they gave you a nickname. And I go, yeah. And he goes, don't worry. They never last, you know, here I am. But I'd say if that you were Sibiondo, you, you, Joe Sibiondo, you sound like a, a member of Anthrax. You know, they have the most Italian names. <laughs> totally. It's like Joey Belladonna and fucking yeah. and you Jimmy have to- two times crinkle yeah. shoes. I love it, dude. Joe, this has been fantastic. Did we do good? We did great. Happy 
Joe Sib, everybody. How fucking good was that, right? If you want to follow Joe Sib, go to Joe underscore Sib on the gram. Joe Sib on Twitter. And his website is joesib.com. Like I said at the beginning, he is currently on tour with Metallica. And you can also go out and get his new comedy record, Nowhere Near the Top, anywhere you guys get your music, okay? For all things 500, go to the500podcast.com. That's where you'll find out Joe's mixtape track listing. You'll find out Bill Burr's mixtape track listing. Get inside the musical minds of all the performers that we've had on this show. And the best place to find all of that and all things 500, the500podcast.com. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. Follow me on all social media at Josh Adam Myers. And March 20th, the next goddamn comedy jam at the world-famous Roxy on the Sunset Strip. It's going to be a hoot, and I want to see you there wearing your fleece. All tickets are going to be on my website at joshadammyers.com. Now, we created a club, and I've been telling you about it. It's called the 500 Club, where we'll be giving away merch, T-shirt, hoodies, live chats with me and my guests. And if you sign up for the club, you get access to full uncut episodes, That's which I'm going to tell you guys, I recorded with Joe for like two and a half hours, and I didn't cut out what was bad. We just condense it because we don't want to release a fucking three-hour podcast. Do you know what I mean? So I'm telling you guys, these interviews are incredible. If you want more, go to the Patreon, guys. Uh, and you get it a day early. You get it on Record Store Tuesdays. It comes out for everybody for free on Wednesdays. Get it for the fucking day early, man. Join the 500. It's the shit. And you can find it at the500podcast.com backslash club for all details on Patreon membership and options and ways to support the five honey. Now, we just listened to Husker Du from 1985. Here's an artist that is directly influenced by this album, okay? From Washington, D.C., we have Chill Parents with their song Ali Ali Oxenfree from their album Hail ACAB. It could be called, it could be Hail Akab or Hail Asab. Who gives a fuck? The song's great. I love it. That's why I'm playing it for you guys. And if you want your music played on the end of the 500, guys, you were directly influenced by one of these artists or one of these albums, send your music to 500podcast at gmail.com and make sure you put the album and artist that influenced you in the subject line. Next week, it's Cindy Lauper week with her 1983 album, She's So Unusual. Y'all got some homework to do.
got uh, two crusts, uh, one straight, and a taco. Go, 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 go. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the One Hit Thunder or nothing more than a One Hit Blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. Next Chapter Podcasts.